We have been in Thailand now for three years full time, but we've had our ministry here for the last five years. And this morning, I'm not really going to talk about our ministry, but I want to tell you about the heart of what brought us into being here. And so I believe that um, you'll be able to catch something that will stir your heart for maybe a new direction, maybe a new insight into what you do. Um, but before I go really into in depth, we were really praying about what this message should look like. And so at first we were going to start out here with trying to really break down all the secrets of the Bible. But since we only have about 25 minutes, we're going to have to skip over that one. Um, and I, I started this out as a joke to try to lighten the mood since I see all you guys caught that. Um, but then I started realizing kind of what God had opened up in our eyes really was the secret that started unlocking what the Bible does and how people connect. And um, when we first came to uh, Thailand, a young man asked me a question out of an orphanage we were at. And he said, what's it like to be a dad? And it really shocked me because I had a dad, and I, I'm, I'm a father, but he had no concept of what a father was. And this morning, thanks guys, no problem. This morning, I, I thought they were trying to beat to the rhythm, like I'm going to get going here. Um, I wanted to talk about who am I? Because this was the question that the young man was asking, because Here's a fact of all of our research of everything that we have grown in over the last probably longer than five years, but in five years of putting into practice, is you don't know who you are until you know your father. Because your identity comes from your father. Now this poses a very interesting problem to those that have no father, or have had an experience with the father that is quite not what we ever want to experience. But God answers this question because it was deep in his heart too. So we're going to get to that. So the question comes, who am I? Now, if I were to go around this room and ask you who you are, just like, and I do the same thing, so there is no pointing of a finger, because I'm probably as guilty as anybody. So who are you? I start telling about what I do, where I'm from, how long I've been there, uh, what job I have, what I'm interested in, right? Like Liverpool, football. Anyway, so... These are things that label me to try to let you know who I am, but deep down that doesn't really answer the question, who am I? But when I walk to Thai immigration, they really don't care what I do, how I do it, what I'm interested in, or even the team that I support, even though they might cheer me on. They're still going to say, yes, hand me your passport. Because where you come from and who you are of is all that matters to them, because that is your identity. So the brand that our world, so we live in a world that is designed to conform us to something. To conform us to, right? So it says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, the whole world's objective is to conform you into an identity, into something. So we start putting the label on and saying, how do I fit? And even in Christianity... If I were to ask you, oh, you're a Christian, you'll give me the name of a church, maybe the denomination, maybe the group, maybe the thing that you're of. Because we want to somehow put a label on what we are. But it's interesting that what God wants you to do is to know who He is. Because when you know who the Father is, you know who you are. And all of a sudden, you come to rest. This happened with what really brought this reality to me was... My son, when he was four years old, was up in his bunk bed and he was 
had a nightmare. I'm asleep, I'm a pretty heavy sleeper, really don't want to get up unless someone's actually coming in through the front door, and then I have to respond to that, because otherwise I'm asleep, right, Pam? Yes. So, I'm, I'm good to go. And also I hear this voice, Dad, 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 because it's never one time, right, parents? It's, it goes until you get a response. Isn't that interesting? God says, seek, and you will find. Why are we more persistent? We just ask once, so I guess he didn't hear me. No, my, your children will keep asking until you respond. Dad, dad, dad. Yes, David, I had a nightmare. It's okay, David, everything's good. Just go back to sleep. Two seconds later. Because he waits just until you fall back to sleep. Dad, dad, dad. Yes, David, can I come and lay down with you? So he comes into the bed. Say, yeah, come. So he gets in the bed, I roll over, Valerie has to scoot over, and it's now we're all cramped inside, and I get my four inches of space on the edge of the bed. So I'm laying on my side. And again, I just fall asleep. Dad, dad, dad. Yes, David. And he reaches over and grabs my head, and he twists my face around. And he sticks his nose on my nose. And he's out. Sound asleep. What was in him to know to look at me in the face? What would brought calm to his heart to know he can look at me in the face? Wasn't it enough to hear my voice in the other room? Right? Well, God, I know you hear my voice. Wasn't it enough to know that you're sleeping in my bed? No. Until I look at you in the face, then I will be calm. And isn't it interesting that says God will guide us by his eye, which means something you're looking into. The second service is always better than the first, just so you know. So the world kind of has already asked the question. And it's interesting as we bring Christianity and we bring Jesus and we bring forgiveness of sins and we bring heaven and we bring these ideas that are so important to Christianity, right? Which they are. But they're just a part of something bigger. The reason he forgave your sins is so his relationship with you would be restored. It wasn't just selling insurance to get you into heaven. It was something that would restore to him his heart's desire is for him to be your father and you to call him dad. That was his heart's desire. And Hollywood has got it in the sense of how they connect people to the character. It's never about a thing. If you really get to the heart of the movie, there is something in the movie that catches your heart. Now you enjoy the rest of it. I use the example of E.T. this morning. E.T. Is, is about this alien thing, and I remember going back and watching it, this is the most boring show I've ever seen. But it was this huge blockbuster hit that connected people. Why? Because the story was not about an alien. It was about a boy going through a terrific divorce in a time where divorce was exploding in America, and all of a sudden Hollywood knew how to grasp the hearts of people. That was an issue. The father issue is the core of almost every movie that you watch. The Last Pirates of the Caribbean, right? It's about two people trying to find their father. And so this plot thickens. This is my favorite movie called Kingdom of Heaven. It's about a young man who, his name is Balian. He's a blacksmith in a community that no one wants. And his wife just committed suicide. Now he's kind of banished. He's looking tarnished. And he doesn't know who he is, so he just keeps beating the metal and the blacksmith, as a blacksmith, and his father, who's estranged from him that he never knew, shows up, and he says, Balian, you're my son. I'm a lord, I have men at arms, I have a kingdom, and I have a place for you, and it's in Jerusalem, come with me. 
And so the, at first he rejects it, right? Because when something good comes that's, that's hurt you for a long time, sometimes it's hard to re accept the good. But as he got over it and he accepted it and he started marching out with his father, he discovered who he really was and stepped into the place he was always designed to be. God knew this too. So not only do we have this spiritual thing, we also have a natural thing that has to be dealt with. So Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts, notice hearts, not behaviors, not actions, not performances, but hearts. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That was the last book. Okay, for you theologians, it's not actually the last book of the Bible in historical time, but it's the last one printed in our Bible. Malachi. Next verse. So this is what's at the end, what needs to happen. The result in our natural world of the father being taken from the home. In America, over 50% of the children will grow up fathers. There's a father, but he's either disconnected, not there, not knowing what to do. And these are the effects. And when we came to Thailand, so we have a mentorship program here in Thailand called Mission 300. Started five years ago. And through an awesome, strange God events, we end up getting in front of the director of probation for Chiang Mai, likes our program, wants to test it, ends up signing a contract with him, and we become the official program that all the juveniles have to go through in order to complete probation court order. And he's now taking us down to Chiang Mai or to Long Pong, and just, he's grown this whole process for us. But why? What was the number one reason why he wanted us there? Because we dealt with the father issue. He goes, Brian, that's our problem too. Our hearts are gone because we don't know who the father is. We don't know what a father is. And if we don't fix the father problem, we can't fix the problem. 63% of youth suicide, 71% of pregnant teens, 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 70% of all juvenile in, in institutions, 85% of rapists, 85% of behavior disorders, 75% of chemical abusers, 85% of youth in prison. And of these, 80% of those are boys to 90. So we have this epidemic thing going on in our world that Malachi said would happen, and it's running rampant, and not only affects us, but the cost and everything else that corresponds with it. The professor of Howard University, Stephen Bashwell, said, virtually every major personal and social pathology can be traced to fatherlessness more than in any other single factor. Fatherlessness far surpasses both poverty and race as a predictor of social deviance. When I met with the program director from Bangkok for the, for the uh, Department of Probation two years ago, she sat down and she goes, what's your main thing you gotta deal with? I said, we gotta deal with the father in the home. And she paused for this long silence. It felt like, it felt like an hour, but it was probably like a minute and a half you have this awkward silence and they kind of stare and they're looking and you're not knowing how to respond. And as she began, she, she pondered, lift her head, she goes, that's our problem too. You see, the world knows what they need. They, they actually know what they're longing for. They actually know what is at the core of their problem. So Luke, Jesus comes on the scene 
And I love this. We got John the Baptist comes in Luke 1.17, and it says John the Baptist, that he will go before him, referring to Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is the prophecy in Malachi. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, when the hearts of a child have a different opinion of who the father is, bringing Jesus into that picture is a simple process. Once we have laid out what a good father looks like and we can model it, then we talk about what a father is and how God wants to be your father. He makes sense. Because one of the guys that works with us, when you grow up that your father has attacked you with a knife and you have slices up and down your arm in defense to try to keep him from beating your mother, that's not a good picture when I say God wants to be your father. And he would basically say, I don't want that. But when he starts seeing what the real father looks like and what the God looks like through our behavior, through our actions, through our activities, all of a sudden, wait, God looks like this? And the picture can begin to change. This is what John the Baptist did. He changed the perspective. So we're going to look at something here. Luke chapter 1, or excuse me, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. And we're going to look at a different perspective of this story. So everybody's familiar with this story, right? It's called the, in your little title on your, your Bible, it says the prodigal son. This story is not about the prodigal son. This story is about the other brother because it was written to the Pharisees who had a problem with the restoration of the children. So this certain man had two sons. So... We're going to go through this fast because it, it took too long last time. So we're going to, we're going to breeze over this, all right? Since you've all heard this story many times, I just want to highlight a few points. A certain man had two sons, okay? These two sons, one was younger, one was older. The younger one says, Father, give me my whole inheritance. See, because what does a father provide? A father provides a name or an identity. A father provides a blessing, which is the ability to go do and the, 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 uh, the, the permission to go act on his behalf. So that's authority. The father provides an inheritance. He provides the resources to do what you're created to do. This is what comes from a father. So this father, so the son goes, give me all this... Give me all the goods that fall to me. So he, the father divided up to both sons the whole inheritance. So he basically divided up everything and gave to both sons. The younger son, he has the money now for a few days. and said, you know what? I'm going to another country. Leaves to another country, spends his money foolishly in prodigal living. And it says in this journey that when he lost all of his money, he joined himself to a citizen of another country. You see, once you lose the thing that was your identity, you go looking to connect it to something else. And when he connected to another identity, he realized he couldn't even eat because the pigs were getting fed better. So it says, I love this, in verse 17 of chapter 15, but when he came to himself. You see, when he came to the reality of, wait a second, who am I? I know my father is so good that he even makes sure the servants have plenty to eat and tons left over. He's good. So he goes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and here's what I'm going to say. 
I'm going to tell my father that I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Make me, listen to these words, make me a servant. Conform me into a servant position. And it says that when he arose, that he came, and when he got close to the property, his father saw him. And when he was still a great way off, his father ran to him fell on him, and immediately the son started his speech that he prepared. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him. And the father immediately calls to the servant. He doesn't even acknowledge the rest of the conversation. Why? Because this is my son. He calls and he asks for the robe to come. He asks for the ring to come. He asks for the sandals to come and he kills the fatted calf. And what you've got to understand, the robe in that time represented the authority of the land. So when you were seen in the robe, you were of that family, of the royalty, of the leadership of that family. That was your robe. Then he's given the ring, which is where you would stamp the decree, where you would declare if he wanted to do a land contract, if he wanted to sell something, if he wanted to make a decision on the property, that son now had the authority to because he had the ring. The stamp. Then he was given the sandals, which li lifted him off of the world that he once came from. No longer did he have to come in on his bare feet. Now he was able to be lifted and walk into a place at a different level. In other words, it was no longer remembered where he came from. So this big party takes place. So then he goes to the other son, which is what the whole story is about. I mean, the first part's pretty great, right? But the second part. So the other son hears this party, tries is. He's asking the serpent, what's going on? Why is there a party? Why is this taking place? And the serpent comes back and says, your brother is back. So all of a sudden, he's mad, and he won't come to the party. So the father comes out to get the older brother. And he says, why aren't you coming to the party? And this, the, young, the older brother says, your son. He wouldn't even identify as a relationship to this guy. Your son goes out and lives with prostitutes and does his whole life. He comes back and you throw a party for him. You have never thrown a party for me. Not even a goat. And the father looked at him and said, Son, you, I'm always with you. And everything I have is already yours. You could have killed it and had your own party anytime you wanted. You see, the older son could not see who he was standing in that place. It was already given to him. The inheritance was given to him. All of it was given to him, but he couldn't see who he was because of the opinion he had of his father. You see, when we have a negative opinion or opinion that God has something against you, or one day if you get it right, you will be up in that place, you will always forget what's already been given to you. I think David, it's, David makes a command. He says, forget not all my benefits. Who forgives all my iniquities? Heals all my diseases. He goes through this list of everything that's been bestowed. In Jeremiah, he says, I longed, I longed for you to call me father, to give you the good land, to give you something great that you would never turn from me. I longed for that. You see, it's been God's longing to not just be a distant God, but to be your father. You see, I have a pet dog named Ruby talk about Ruby too much. We like Ruby. We feed Ruby. We cook for Ruby. We won't talk about that. Ruby's had a special place. But she's still a pet. 
She's never going to be like me. She's never going to be a child. She'll never meet the needs of a relationship that I can have. I can pet her because she's selfish. She only thinks about herself. She just wants to eat, do what she wants, wind at the door. You know, it's never about me. It's about Ruby. But my kids are part of me. That's what the Father wanted. I want you to look, look at this. And Here we go. John 16, 20 through 23. This is Jesus' prayer for you, for everyone who would believe his word. This is what he desired. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now Jesus repeats like the same thing like four different times to get you to get to the point. I want to be in you. I want you in me. I want this relationship where when you know me, I know you, and we function in a different realm. And to be loved the way Jesus was loved? Can you agree Jesus was loved? Can you agree there pretty much was anything Jesus functioned, this love boat around Jesus? He was loved. He says, I want you to have the same, the way Jesus was loved is the same way the Father wants to love you. Think about the freedom of that. That's his heart to us. I love this verse. You see, this is something we show our guys, is there's a commitment to belief. We had a young man that was in our program, and he kind of stood aloof off to the side. We've had this many stories like this. They stand aloof to the side, but he was solid. You saw something in him. And we went into this new league, and it, we have a football team that he was on, and we went to this new league. It was really hard, and it was hard coordinating the guys, and we made him the captain. I said, Gal, I have seen you being a leader. You've been a leader, but you're quiet. You can take this team. It was amazing what happened to this man. He changed. I, what was in him was always there, but all of a sudden he got to be what he was. Belief happened. You see, the Father actually believes in you. If, if we're designed for him to function by us believing in him, how do we function when he believes in us? You know, when you have that little, when your kids go do the special little sporting event and then they do the little trick or they're in the ballet and they do the move and you get this little glance. And if you're catching it, all of a sudden they just beam and then they go farther. But if you're not looking at them because you're on Facebook or something, they keep looking and they keep looking. Why? They want that connection of belief. They want that value. We're the same way with the Father. It says He will guide us with his eye. How does his eye look? Over. So you have to be looking at him. Behold. So I want you to catch this. So this is a real important one. When it says behold, it means this is really emphatic. Hold on to this one. Behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called children of God. We don't even grasp the concept. It's become so just part of mainstream, oh, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God, but we act like pets. 
We don't act like children. We don't have the confidence that God wants us in that relationship. This is one of the greatest things he could ever do is to call you a child. He doesn't call you a servant. He doesn't call you a friend. He doesn't call you a brother. He calls you a child. Yet you're a friend, you're a brother, you're a servant. But he calls you a child. I like this in Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let that just sink in just for a moment. In his kingdom, like the kingdom of Thailand, I don't care how great of a leader you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how big of a business you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you are not born into the royal family in the right part of the lineage, you have no ability to be king of Thailand. Your performance is absolutely irrelevant to the kingdom of Thailand. It's who you are. The kingdom of God is no different. It's who he says you are. That's why he could come into Gideon. And he didn't have to form a, a campaign, a training program, a leadership structure. He didn't have to do anything. He went and found a man that had every reason why he couldn't be a leader. He was hiding. He came from the wrong family. He was discouraged. And he was mad at God for leaving him in this mess to begin with. And God simply comes and gives him one word. Right? Because we're word people. We believe the word of God. Right? He gave him one word. You mighty man of God. Changed everything. How can God, because God for the first time, Gideon heard the truth about who he was. The mighty man of valor. His behavior probably changed. You see, all that is the byproduct of the relationship that you have with the one speaking. Romans 8, 15 through 16. For we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness that we are the children of God. Why did God give us His Spirit? Many reasons. But one of the key things is it bears witness in your heart that you are a child. You're not a stranger. You're not a servant. You see, if my son was a guest in my house, he would have not called out Dad to come in when he had a nightmare. He would have laid on the floor and dealt with it. But because my son is a son, he had no inhibition to call out Dad. Here he comes. And the Father wants us to have the freedom to walk as children in that same passion, in that same relationship that Jesus had with his Father. That you have boldness, that you have confidence. Guess what? The things that you've struggled with changing would change just because of the relationship because you want the relationship more than you want the thing. It becomes an easy byproduct. And that's the Father's heart for you. Because you can never know who you are until you know who you're from.